pastor of uh, Mill City Church in Fort Collins, Colorado, about two hours north of here. And uh, we've, we're about three and a half years old and uh, really just seeing God do some amazing, amazing things there. And it's um, really, really grateful just to give you a little bit of uh, context in terms of who I am and my family. I have four boys. Parker, Cohen, Brooks, and Smith are their names. Say it nice like that, and it sounds like an architectural firm. And um, they, uh, they are ages 6, 9, 11, and 13, so lots of competition. Everybody's trying to win and, you know, all that kind of thing. Everybody's whoever can eat the fastest, brush their teeth the fastest, right, run the fastest, uh, take the shower the fastest, all those types of things, you know, lots of competition. Some people think, wow, you have, <laughs> you have four boys, compact together, you must really love kids. I really don't. Um, I'm just crazy about my wife. And so <laughs> it works out that way. Um, but but in plan, we, we left here in 2011, uh, Colorado Springs, to move to Fort Collins to plant uh, a, a brand new church. We knew one person in Fort Collins and, uh, and, and just following the Lord and following his leading and direction in terms of what we felt like he was calling us to do. And um, it's been one of the most amazing and wild rides that I think uh, would have ever, uh, and, and way more than I would have ever expected. If you're feeling like your life is just a little dull, go plant a church and uh, you will never say that again. And, but it's been an amazing faith journey. And, uh, and, and I don't know whether it's planting a church or so many different things. I think a lot of times we get into pastoral ministry because we love people. I hope that's why, <laughs> why you're in pastoral ministry or whatever you do. And, and oftentimes we have, uh, you know, like we want to preach. We want to shepherd people. We want to be a part of this. We want to help people in this aspect of their lives. And then there's different aspects and parts of ministry that maybe we didn't expect or we didn't expect to take so much time. And we find ourselves doing a lot of other things or doing a lot of one particular thing. And it wasn't like, oh, that's why I'm going to go plant a church because I want to manage budgets, or I, I'm going to go plant a church because I, I look forward to managing my trustees. You know, like that's not the reason, but you find yourself doing a lot of those things. And one of the things that I find myself doing an absolute ton of work with is teams. And I would suspect that everybody in here is part of a team. You're either leading a team, you're part of a team. If you're leading a team, you're part of a team. If you're not leading the team, you're certainly part of the team. But if we look at families, uh, our family works best, not just when I'm happy. <laughs> and and my, our family doesn't just work best when our kids are happy. Our family works best when we're all happy working together. And it takes us, and it takes effort and it takes work for that to happen. Uh, it takes not only delineation of roles and expectations and instructions and all that kind of thing, but, but there's something about believing that the happiness and the health of our family is not just dependent upon whether or not mom or dad are happy or the kids are happy. And so uh, today I just want to take a little bit of time and talk about teams. Um, it's such a huge part of church. Uh, we're all leading teams, part of teams. And, and really what I want us to talk about, and of course this is the title of this session, is building healthy teams. Um, we can have lots and lots of teams and they can be absolutely unhealthy. And uh, we want healthy teams because healthy teams produce healthy fruit. 
And um, I really believe that the, um, the health and the quality of the team, in other words, the, the, as, as goes the, my staff team and the health of our team, so goes the church. Uh, if, if, to go back to the family analogy, if my wife and I as the first team, as the executive team of the family, uh, aren't doing well, then the rest of the team's not going to be doing well. And so, um, and so, so to how, and whether it's the staff team or it's an elder team or it's the kids team or it's the outreach team or it's a, uh, a team of, and it can be non, doesn't have to be paid staff members. Um, or whether it's, it's, it's a, you know, a group of people that are helping to lead a particular aspect of the ministry. As that team goes, so goes the ministry. And the health of that team will determine the health of the ministry. So I want to just start off by reading a passage of Scripture and, uh, and pulling a few different things out of it that I think might be relevant to talking about what this looks like. And as we go through this today, I really would love to, and I will leave uh, time for some Q&A, and hopefully we can have some, uh, kind of unpack this a little bit and talk more about this in some specifics. So if you would be uh, thinking of or writing down any questions that you might have, and we'll uh, have time for that here in just a, a few minutes. So in 2 Kings uh, chapter 4, Starting in verse 38, uh, Elisha the prophet, uh, here is who we're talking about. It says, Elisha returned to Gilgal, and there was a famine in that region. So while the company of the prophets was, was meeting with him, he said to his servant, put on the large pot and cook some stew for these prophets. Verse 39, one of them went out into the fields to gather herbs and found a wild vine and picked as many of its gourds as his garment would hold. And when he returned, he cut them into the pot of stew, though no one knew what they were. Verse 40, the stew was poured out for the men, but as they began to eat it, they cried out, man of God, there is death in the pot. And they could not eat it. Verse 41, Elisha said, get some flour. He put it into the pot and said, serve it to the people to eat. And there was nothing harmful in the pot. So there's a few things that I want us to look at here. First of all, he we, we got a kind of, you know, this picture of a team. We've got not, not, you know, he says to a servant, but says that one of them. So we know there's a group of them. There's, this is a group effort, effort and there's lots of different things going on. First of all, um, there are some lots of good ingredients for this stew. There's some herbs, he says, and some, some things, but there's this wild vine that nobody knew what it was. And, and so we've got to have ingredients for what's going on in our team. And so my first question is, what are your values? Do you have any idea what the values are for your particular team? Um, and I don't just mean like, oh yeah, we want to do a good job. You know, like that is, that's good. I think that uh, hopefully that's the goal for all of them. But what are the, what are the things that we're trying to put into this, this group and into this team to make sure that it's good? Uh, I'll just share with you our, the Mill City Church staff values. Okay, see, these are the values that... Uh, apply specifically to our staff. And, uh, and so and just, I'm not saying that these are what you need to do. I'm just telling you what we are putting into our pot for our team to be healthy and, and good. And so number one is all in. Are you all in? Are you fully engaged? Are you all into the vision? Are you all in relationally? Is there anything that you are holding back do you, are you all in like, like, the, like I'm an owner, not an not a employee? In other words, I treat this like the family business, not like a hireling. And so I have a question that goes with each of our values 
that I want our team to be asking themselves on a regular basis. And the first question that I want people to ask in regard to am I all in is am I fully engaged? Am I fully engaged in the vision? Am I fully engaged relationally? Another way of maybe saying that is, is there anything that I'm holding back? Am I any, is there anything that I'm holding back? I, I am looking for people who are going to be on our team that are going to be all in. Not just like, oh yeah, kind of, that's, 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 that's part of, that's, that's an interesting thing, and I'll do this, and I'll do that. And, no, all in. Number two, and the couple of these are intention on purpose. And the second one is sustainable rhythm. See, because all in could mean like uh, that's all I do and that's all I care about and I don't do anything else outside of working for the church and being a part of this team because I'm all in and I'm, I'm all about it. But another value that we have is sustainable rhythm because we are passionate about people going the distance. And so I want people, this is a, one of the questions, is, do, is for people to ask themselves, do I love what I'm doing? I actually think... There was a season in my life where um, I found myself doing what I was called to do and not loving it. And I think if we ever find ourselves in that place, it's a good indicator that something is wrong and we're not in a good rhythm. And I, it was a, that particular instance, I won't tell you the whole story, but that particular instance highlighted to me how I really had not built in uh, the proper amount of rest and rhythm into my life. Um, I had, a, I had a rhythm that looked like one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. As opposed to God's rhythm, which is one, two, three, four, five, six, pause. One, two, three, four, five, six, pause. As, as exemplified to us in his creation account. Um, so, so the question is, am I healthy? We could ask the question, am I taking a Sabbath? But really the question that's much bigger in terms of sustainability and sustainable rhythm is, am I healthy? And so I want my team asking, am I healthy? Am I, am I emotionally healthy? Am I relationally healthy? Is my marriage healthy? Am I, and some of that has to do with rest, but some of that has to do with, am I taking care of myself? Am I taking care of um, not just my job responsibilities, but am I taking care of some deeper things? And all in and sustainable rhythm are intention. And that's a good thing. Uh, number three is empowerment. I believe that as pastors, we are called not just to do ministry, but to equip people for ministry. So my staff, uh, and the question for them is, am I equipping people and building teams? Am I equipping people and building teams? Number four, the value that's in tension with empowerment is excellence. But excellence, uh, it was interesting when we had a staff discussion about this, uh, excellence brings out a lot of different ideas and, uh, and sometimes a lot of different baggage. Sometimes it can look like production and it can look like everything, have to, it, perfectionism. It can look like um, um, uh, uh, polish. And so the way that I, we've tried to describe that to hopefully not uh, put us into a place that we're not trying to get to when we say that word is, am I, am I avoiding... Uh, uh, well, really, the, 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 the question for it is, am I chasing the win? In other words, am I, am I going after what I'm supposed to be going after? But, but one of the ways that we want to do that is, am I avoiding the ditch of the fumble and the ditch of finesse? In other words, what's our goal on a Sunday morning? Our goal on a Sunday morning is for people to worship God, to engage. 
And in, and in so doing that, we don't want it to be so produced and so polished and so perfect that that's actually distracting. But I also don't want it to, you know, microphones not to work and, you know, slides not to go up and misspellings and, you know, all those types of things that it's so distracting that they can't engage because you're fumbling. So there's this, there's this tension that you live in in terms of trying to do things with excellence. Well, excellence and empowerment sometimes can be in tension because you're handing something off to somebody. You're building a team. Hey, would you do this? Will you do this with me? And it, there's a chance that some people are going to make a mess because, because they're a volunteer or because, you're, uh, because, because it's their first time, because they're growing into that or whatever the case might be. And then the last one, number five, is personally attentive as are we personally attentive and the question is am I doing for some what I wish I could do for all in other words I, do, I want my staff to think pastorally I want them to think personally I want them to not just crunch numbers I want them to know people on a specific and an individual basis I want them to be attentive to what the Holy Spirit is doing in other people's lives and am I, am I helping them uh, to, to recognize what the Holy Spirit is doing? I like to say it this way. Every number has a name and every name has a story and every story matters to God. And so, so those are our five staff values. And I, those, are the, those are the herbs that I want to put into this mix. And, and hopefully all of that, when we're, when, if we're hitting that, it tastes great. But... but and, and I find that really this, we can write those down. My hope really is not just that we have a nice list. And my, and my hope is not that we can say, oh yeah, here are the staff values. That a new person comes onto our, our team. Oh yeah, here's the staff values. Memorize this. Really what we're talking about is culture. What's the culture of the team? And culture, I think, is maybe one of the most important things in regard to what a team is all about. I think I think culture eats vision for lunch. Be, so, you, in other words, you can say, yeah, this is the vision, but the culture will, just, will eat it or the culture will help it to thrive. And so, so what, what are you putting into all of that? But then the story goes on. Okay, so they put a bunch of stuff in there, but they put one wild vine into this pot. And he says, man of God, there's death in the pot. So, as a leader, as somebody on a team, are you able to identify when there's death in the pot? Are you able to identify when we got a bunch of herbs and we got these great values, but there's something else in here that just doesn't quite taste right. That actually is going to kill the other things. There's death in the pot. Are there any bad ingredients? Is there any poison in the pot? Is there any poison in the culture? So this is my question if the first one is, what are your values? The second question is, are you able to be honest? It was these guys that were sitting around. Hey, the man of God, there's death in the pot. Are you able to be honest with yourselves? Are you able to have honest conversation, not just from the leader that identifies that there's death in the pot, which is helpful and important, but is everybody on the team able to identify and call out if there's death in the pot? Do you have self-awareness? Um, I have four boys, as I mentioned, and my, my boys have played soccer. They play soccer in the city league. And, and um, my two older boys are in uh, middle school, on the middle school team. But, you know, in the younger elementary age soccer teams, uh, you know, they don't keep score. 
At least they don't keep score. I keep score. And you know who else keeps score? All of my boys. When we get home, hey, did you guys win or lose? None of them ever say, oh, dad, dad, we play on a don't keep score league. None of them. Nope, lost. Yep, five to one. Yep, nope, three to two. Always. Which I think is so great. <laughs> one, because I'm competitive. But two, because, because if you don't know whether you win or lose, it's hard to evaluate whether or not you need to get better. And so I think we need to just be able to be honest. Say, nope, we lost. And we lost, and, oh, three to one. Oh, well, how do you, what, what could have changed that game? Well, we should have done this better. We could have done this better. Oh, it doesn't matter, Dad. We're just having fun. <laughs> oh, it doesn't matter. We got the job done. I don't necessarily think that's true. We got the job done, but sometimes we can get the job done and we can, we can have death in the pot. And so is there the ability to be honest? And so I like to, I like to say it this way. Are there avenues for honesty on your teams? Are there avenues for honesty? Uh, I, think, I, I, I think there's several different ways to try and do that, and I don't think you only do one. I think you kind of do all of them. Uh, whenever I meet with people on my, my team, um, I meet with several of my staff members on a regular basis, um, and one, I actually meet with several of them once a month as kind of an evaluation. And in those evaluations, or in the how are things going, checking in, hey, what about this, how about that, I always end the meeting with, is there anything that I can do to be a better leader? Is there anything that I can do to help you do your job better? Is there anything that I'm doing that I'm getting in the way of you actually being able to do what you're doing? I want them to have an opportunity to be honest with me. Maybe something that they wouldn't bring up in a meeting, but I want them hopefully to be able to hear that over and over and over and over again so that they realize, I really do want that. And if, if nothing else, they can wait till the next meeting and say, hey, actually there is something. And I long for that when they, they do that. I really do want to hear that. I like to ask the question, uh, if there was one thing that we could change right now with the snap of your fingers or with one decision that would make an impact in the church or in the particular area that we're talking about or something like that, what would it be? So sometimes I find that we need to create conversations where those things will come out rather than saying, okay, is there anything wrong? Do we have any death in the pot? <laughs> Asking the do we have any death in the pot question sometimes doesn't bring out the answers. But if we can create environments where we're asking questions where that's probably just going to somehow come out, it's really helpful and important. So maybe one of the other ways that you can do that um, is just take out a whiteboard and write down um, doing well, doing poorly, not doing at all, and confused. And just put four different categories. And, and have people fill it out. And just together as a group. I don't know if they were doing this very well. Really? You don't? <laughs> and, and out of this, oh, actually I think that needs to not just go in the poorly column. I think that needs to go in the confused column. And you just dialogue. And you're not making these massive decisions. But what you're trying to do is just create opportunities for people to be honest about what's happening on your team. Um, I also think that it's really important that we keep track of numbers. Um, I think, I know that there's, you know, we don't want to take care of numbers. I don't think we should always be driven by numbers, but I think we need to keep track of numbers. And I think we should keep track of a lot of numbers. And the reason is, is because it helps us to be honest with ourselves. 
Sometimes we can say, oh, this feels great. And it's just slowly dying or it's slowly shrinking or something like that. And so, and so it's just important that we can have some good data so that we can talk about what's real rather than, well, it just doesn't feel right to me or it, just, it doesn't feel like it's as big or it doesn't feel like it's growing or whatever the question is that you're trying to address. And as a leader, if you're leading teams in order to get honesty, you're going to have to sit in an awkward moment. And this is what I mean by that. I, I one time was part of a team and there was actually a survey done um, of the people that, that they served. And, and in talking about this, this survey and the results, um, the, the results came back and there was like three things that this survey indicated. And, and so uh, got together as a group of, of uh, as a team and we're talking through the results of the survey. And, and the first First, first thing, reads off the results. Uh, we're not doing very good at this. And immediately the leader sa- starts, nobody said anything in the first two seconds in this quiet space. And the leader jumps in and starts talking. And starts for the next 10 to 15 minutes explaining why that's not true. Or why somebody might think that, but it's not true. And I just thought, and then at the end of that, Nobody had any space to be able to really like respond. You know, you're not like, well, that's, you're wrong to the leader. So I think as the leader, sometimes we might have our opinions, but sit there and just let the awkward silence sit there and say, what do you think about this? Why would people respond? Why do you think this was the result of this survey? Or people are saying this, or I got this email the other day and they said that, 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 that. Uh, do you think that's true? And then just wait. And wait might take, you might sit there for a little while. Anything, and your tendency is to be like, okay, great. <laughs> that's what I thought. I didn't think that was true either. <laughs> but to just sit in that awkward moment, sit in that awkward silence and allow somebody to say, yeah, I think we have some death in the pot. And they thing that I think we need to be willing to hear is it's me. And not just it's me, like I need to get out. It's just like, oh, maybe I'm contributing to the pot. Maybe I'm the one that's bringing the poison into the pot. Am I willing to hear that I've added something that I didn't mean to add, but I'm adding it? And then the story goes on and it says, and they couldn't eat it because there was death in the pot. In verse 41, Elisha said, get some flour and put it into the pot. And then he said, serve it to the people to eat. And there was nothing harmful in the pot. Isn't it interesting that he didn't just say, dump out the pot and go start over? Sometimes when we see death in the pot, what do we want to do? Fire the team. <laughs> we want to get rid of the whole thing. Let's just start over. We got death in the pot. But instead, Elisha realized he had something that was going to take the poison out of the pot. And again, I think this, is, this speaks to leaders of teams specifically. And that is that as the leader, don't disengage from your team. Sometimes we are so interested in some of the bigger or different things that we like to do that we Oh, I don't want to have to mess with all of the details and the nuances and all the pieces and the parts and the, and the ongoing conversations and all the work that it's going to take to make this team 
healthy. And so my question as a leader specifically is, are you engaged? Are you engaged? Are you willing to say, you know what? All right, I've got something that I can add to the pot to neutralize the death in the pot. And chances are you as a leader do have something that you can add to the pot to neutralize the poison in the pot. And that can be a lot of different things. It might be, I can identify that. Oh, I see that poison. I see the poison in the pot, and I just need to talk to that person. I see the, the, the culture that we have on our team, and I didn't realize it. It's not what I wanted. I see it, but I need to address it. I need to talk about it. I need to confront the team, or I need to confront a few individuals. But I can add some things to this pot, and I think that that will neutralize the death in the pot. So um, I won't let my staff say, uh, our church just won't, and then fill in the blank. Our church, we have three services. Our church just won't go to a service that starts after noon. It's easy to think that, and I can understand why somebody would say that. But I don't like people saying, well, our church just won't do this. Well, our church won't uh, park in this way, or our church won't engage in this, or, or whatever. And this is the reason, is because... I would rather us say, we have not led our church to, and then fill in the blank. Maybe they don't do that now, but they're not doing what we, what maybe they could do or what could be happening because I haven't led them to that. So if I take that same principle and apply it to myself as the leader of the team, I should never say, well, my staff just won't, or my staff is just like this. And instead, take some personal responsibility and say, well, I just haven't, as a leader, led my staff to celebrate. I have not led my team to uh, be attentive to the things that the Holy Spirit's doing. Or I have not led my team to be honest. Or I have not led my team to uh, 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 cultivate or develop or, or whatever. And so, so to, to just be able and willing to say, it's because it, it's so easy for us to shift blame. And instead to be able to say, okay, what can I do to lead as a part of this? I'll give you an example. Uh, maybe six months ago, I, I, I found my team to be so sensitive. <laughs> I mean, we'd bring up a topic and it would get so emotional. And people get their feelings hurt and... And I actually went to uh, one of our elders and I was asking, I said, man, I just feel like my team is so they're hypersensitive. And he said something to me and he said, Aaron, I wonder if that's because you are. I was like, no, most definitely not. <laughs> but I thought about that more. And I started to realize that actually I was extra sensitive. And so when an issue came up and it somehow pressed on me, I ended up taking it personally. If somebody said this, well, I don't think we're doing this very well. They were being honest. But I, I, would, respond, I would respond emotionally thinking, you're telling me I haven't done a good job. You're telling me I haven't cultivated this. You're telling me I haven't. And, and if that's the case, then I need to take it. But if it's not the case, I also need to not react in such a personal way. And so over the course of the last several months, I've been, every time I'm in a meeting, I just, and something um, pushes back and there's some feedback in some different way, I, I regularly just think, okay, let's just talk about this. And I'm just, just talking to myself. 
Let's just talk about this. This is a great thing. I want to hear what's going on behind that. If somebody says something that I'm like ready to just like react to, tell me more about that. I'd love to hear more about your uh, thoughts about that, why you say it like that. And inside I'm thinking, oh, watch out. You know, I'm ready to like take them down. But, but I, what I, what my point is, is that, is that I was the one that was creating the environment that I wasn't liking. Or maybe it's not uh, within the staff. Maybe it's outside of what, you know, in terms of what the staff is doing or the team is doing. You know, if, if, um, if I were to, ha- I have a, uh, at the beginning of our staff meeting, almost every week, I'll say, okay, um, before we get into the things that we're probably going to critique, we're going to debrief last Sunday. We're going to debrief this event. We're going to talk about s- small groups and how they're going. And we're going to talk about it for the next semester. We're going to talk about this or whatever. Usually involved in that is some sort of critique, right? How can we do it better? Um, what do we need to improve on? What do we need to remember for next time? Um, what do we need to maintain? What do we need to do to add the right things, etc.? Before we get to the critical things and essentially talk about a lot of the things that we can control and is ours to steward, let's talk about God stories. What are some God stories happening in our church right now? And the first time I did that, it was like, I'm thinking, we have a big problem. We don't have any God stories. It's not that we didn't have any God stories. It's just that the team didn't necessarily know what to say. So over the next week, I talk to some different people, and I, they'd be, they would tell me a God story. I'd be like, will you share that in this next staff meeting when I ask for some God stories? Another one. Oh, will you, can you share that? Well, I don't, is it really? Yes, share that. And so what wasn't happening, I wanted to go out and instead of saying, well, my team just doesn't know how to or doesn't see any or isn't paying attention to any God stories, they actually were. They just didn't, weren't thinking of them. And so it was helpful for me to be able to just say, okay, I'm going to change this by leaning into it and engaging. I think I've got the flower to neutralize the death in the pot. And the, other, the last, or the thing in regards to being engaged, um, especially with a team member, and this can be a staff member, this can be anybody on your team. At first, if somebody um, is a, it isn't matching up, isn't really towing the line or carrying their weight or doing what they're supposed to do. Oftentimes they'll blame the person, right? Oh, well, he's just kind of that way. He's always late. He's always like that. Oh, he always makes off-color comments. Or he, she is, regularly is, is pretty disengaged from the meeting or whatever. And so regularly they'll blame the person. They'll point the finger at the person identifying that, oh, they, they are the one with the issue. If you as the leader of that team don't engage with something, and I'm talking about something that may be poisonous to the team. If you as the leader don't engage and deal with the poison, engage in a way that somehow you're trying to neutralize the death in the pot, after a while, they are going to stop saying, oh, man, they are making inappropriate comments and they're going to start blaming you because you're the leader and you haven't dealt with the person who's making the inappropriate comments. And so it's not just a them problem, now it's a you problem because you're not dealing with the issues on the team. And so I, I, I actually think that, and, and maybe this is partially because of the age of our church, three and a half years old, is that I find that managing teams is like managing kids. Constant work. 
didn't I just tell you yesterday to say thank you? Didn't I just tell you yesterday not to forget your lunch on your way to school? Didn't I tell you yesterday or the end the day before and the day before and the day before that and the day before that? Why haven't you got it? But we keep working and we keep working and we keep staying engaged and we keep pressing and we keep training and we keep developing. In other words, with our kids, I think if we get to, well, you're six years old. I can't believe you don't know this by now. Forget you. I hope you turn out all right. No, you keep training, you keep developing, you keep processing, you keep learning as a parent. Well, how do I do this? I think what I'm doing just isn't working. <laughs> and you stay engaged in the development of the team. Why? Because the health of the team will determine the health of the ministry. Because you want healthy fruit, and in order to have healthy fruit, you've got to have a healthy tree, and you've got to have healthy places that it's coming from. And everything will have to do with the team. Last last part and then we'll jump into Q&A. Elisha said, get some flour, put it into the pot. And then he said, serve it to the people to eat. He didn't taste it himself, at least from what we can tell. I don't know about you, but if I'm sitting around that campfire or whatever their table or whatever they're sitting around in that moment, and somebody says, there's death in the pot, and Elisha's like, okay, it's fine, everybody eat up, I think I'd be like, you try first. But instead, they ate. And why is that? Because they trusted Elisha. I think that one of the key elements of a team being healthy is trust. Do you have trust on your team? And this in some ways is tied to the honesty. Is there honesty on your team? Is there the ability to be honest with one another. But is there trust? Do you have trust? Um, There's a book called The Five Dysfunctions of a Team by Patrick Lencioni. It's a secular book. Um, He is a Christian, but um, he, he talks about these five different things that a team needs, and the number one thing that a team needs is trust. Because if you don't have trust, chances are you're not going to do conflict well, because in conflict you're not going to be honest. And so you've got to have trust. We actually did an uh, exercise with our team recently because um, I think it's easy to say, oh, yeah, we trust each other. But I think, I think sometimes it's not just do we trust each other, it's how much do we trust each other. And so I think it's wise to be regularly uh, testing or paying attention to the strength or the depth of the trust on your team. And sometimes you can identify that based on how people are responding or if people are being honest. You know, do, are people bringing you the, the, what they really think when you really wish they would have brought that to the meeting? And maybe part of the reason they didn't bring it to the meeting is because they don't trust everybody at the table. So, so you, we want to ask ourselves, are, is there trust on our team? Because the more trust and the deeper the trust on our team, the healthier the team is going to be because we're going to be more honest. We're going to be willing, more willing to de- uh, deal with the issues that are, that are actually there. So the, the, um, the, thing, the exercises that we did over the course uh, several months ago just to test this and found actually, oh, ooh, we don't trust each other quite as much as I thought we did. Uh, we... we uh, we use this, this um, uh, resource called Trustology. And uh, there's a book 
um, by, the, by a guy named Richard Fagerlin. And uh, I highly recommend that you pick that, pick that book up. It talks a lot about trust, trust within teams especially. And, um, um, but we, we um, he also has this, this exercise, and so I have these trustology cards here. And so this is what I would do, and I won't read all of them, but I'll read a few of them. Um, I would ask this question to my team, and, and I'd have everybody put their hand out like this, and, and I would say, okay, um, on the count of three, after I read this, I want you to put your thumbs up or your thumbs down uh, whether or not you think this is true. Or maybe you could put it in the middle if you're undecided. But I'll give you a little bit of time to think about it and then thumbs up, thumbs down. So that everybody's kind of voting all at once and they, and they see what everybody else's vote is. And so, uh, so the question on this one is, um, or, or the, the idea is trust's big lie. Trust is earned. And so in... in in this idea, the, the thought is we think of trust being earned, which means we keep scorecards. But really, trust is given. So are we, really, are, we, are we really willing to give trust? And so, uh, so the question is, we are willing to give trust even if it's uncomfortable. Ready? One, two, three. And thumbs up or thumbs down. Maybe, actually, I'll read several of these. Why don't you, if you want to, feel free to mark them down on your uh, card in terms of your team. Or think of a particular team if we're on more than one team. Um, this one, as a member of a team, we actively seek to help build others up. Seek first to help others be successful versus focusing on personal growth and success first. In other words, we going for the, the group win or we going for the personal win? Ready? One, two, three... <laughs> And the thumbs are going up and the thumbs are going down. And it's sometimes, you know, you get a collective thumbs up. We're like patting ourselves on the back. Yes, we're awesome. I trust you. I love you. And then the next round, um, we understand that not everything is a problem that must be solved. We're good at balancing the tensions in most situations and helping others to gain this perspective as well. Are you ready? One, two, three. And all of them are, like, three quarters of them are down. And we're like, no, oh, no. And sometimes it comes from the person you least expect. But again, this is another exercise where we're not just asking, do we have good trust, yes or no? And we're not just asking the question, um, uh, uh, are, are we honest or how are we doing? Are we, you know, those types of things. We're cultivating through some other experiences or through some other questions, ways in which those things might rise to the surface. Uh, we possess a high degree of personal ownership with relationships and show it by taking action. So in other words, um, kind of comes out of the passage of Scripture that says, um, make every effort to be at peace with all men. In other words, are we making efforts to make sure that relationships stay unified and, and smooth and good? We possess a high degree of personal ownership with relationships that shows it by taking action. Ready? One, two, three. This one is called, It's Not About the Coffee. So it focuses on the root cause of the problem and not the symptoms. We're good at gaining clarity in most situations. In other words, we really find out what the issue is. Do we, are we able to like, when something comes up, we get to the root of it or we kind of gloss over it because we don't want to get to the root because the root's going to require some honesty or maybe some uncomfortable situ uh, conversations. Rights and responsibilities. We willingly surrender our rights and accept greater responsibility. We serve others by making less of ourselves and more of others. One, two, three, up or down. This one is a good one. We take care to be both candid, share directly and specifically what we see and how we feel, and do it with care. 
compassion and understanding for others. Oftentimes, people are only good at one or the other. Candor with care. Ready? One, two, three. We're not, is, we, uh, we are, as a team, are belligerent or mean, but not, uh, let's see, we are not belligerent or mean, but it's willing to challenge others and to be real, even if it may not be easy to hear up or down. Uh, I'll read just a couple of more. Uh, look in the mirror. Is fully self-aware. So in other words, as a team, are we self-aware? Both of strengths and of weaknesses. Does not get derailed by not being self-aware, not knowing how others perceive them. Now, some of these you might have to, some people are like, well, um, if I think about it in this way, then I think we are self-aware. If I think about it this way, um, that guy's not self-aware, so I'm going to have to give us a, uh, I'm going to have to, can I do this <laughs> in this particular exercise? Um, and I like this. In the, in the book, Trustology, there's, he, he says that trust, really sometimes we say, well, I just don't trust you, but trust is made up of three things. And it's made up of integrity, it's made up of, uh, of competency, and it's made up of compassion. And so one of the things that he highlights is if you, are, if you don't feel like you trust somebody, if, if you're able to try and identify why, it's because I don't think you're doing a very good job. If I give you something, I'm not, I don't trust or have confidence that you're actually going to do it. I, I, I really have a hard time with your integrity. I don't know that you really are going to follow through and do what you say. Or finally, Compassion. I don't know that you're going to do it with compassion. So there's, a, there's three of these cards. One, possesses a high degree of integrity in all dealings and interactions with others, is seen by others as whole, complete, and with great consistency. Yes or no. Is good at learning new things and gaining the knowledge necessary to be successful. This is competence. Is a good teacher and mentor helping others to learn and grow well. Yes or no. And then the last one on the three-legged stool um, is compassion. Has a high degree of understanding and empathy for others. Willing to make difficult decisions while also caring deeply for others. Ready? One, two, three. So we went through, I didn't go, I probably went through half of those. So after we were all finished, we took all the ones that we had um, a, a half or majority, half or more with a negative, uh, we're not good at this. Thumbs down. We ended up with about five or six. And then those were the conversations for the next couple of weeks. And out of that actually was one of the ones where we came out about sensitivity and the sensitivity of our team and how we got emotionally triggered oftentimes when there was honest feedback. So there was honesty, but it triggered and we got derailed because now it's like, oh, are you okay? Are you okay? I didn't mean to hurt you. I wasn't trying to offend you. And so we ended up not really actually able to address the issue. And then we're spending all this time trying to make sure that everybody's okay. And we want to take care of people. We want to make sure that people are okay. This is not a license to just say whatever you want and to say, well, I'm just being real. <laughs> but the point is, do we have trust? When the leader says, okay, eat it, you're like, okay, I trust you. It's good. Okay, I trust you. Is there trust and confidence in one another? So, um, I have maybe learned, this has been a learning curve and a learning process for me as a leader, as a senior pastor, uh, to be able to look at and realize, wow, one of my main jobs, uh, maybe the congregation might seem one of my main jobs is preaching on a Sunday morning. One of my main jobs that takes up a lot of my time is managing teams, is building healthy teams, is paying attention to do we have the right ingredients and is there any poison? But I will tell you this, that as a 
pastor of a church, it sometimes can make the most difference. And one of the things that I hear from a lot of people when they come to our church is this is the healthiest church that I've ever been a part of. This is the healthiest church I've ever seen. And we've got our issues. We've got, we, no, no, no church is perfect. But, but there's a health to it. And it's not because of just what's being spoken on the platform, but it has to do with the health of the teams because what happens in that team trickles down into the rest of the church. So, um, all right, let's take a little bit of time. Let's do some Q&A and, uh, and let's jump into this for a little while, talk about it, and then we'll, we'll finish up. All right, so Adam, you've got the microphone. If you would, while somebody's uh, asking a question, raise your hand so that Adam can maybe get an idea of where he'll go next That's and, then, uh, and then we'll go from there. That's a little weird because my name is Adam. Oh. <laughs> and so I was thinking, how do you know this? Yeah, when you uh, ask your question, if you don't mind, say your name and where you're from. I'd love to just uh, get an idea. Adam Coop from Laramie, Wyoming. All right, cool. Aaron, uh, long-time listener, first-time caller. Um, <laughs> you, talk about, you talk about your staff and you talk about your team specifically. Now, how much of this transfers into your eldership or did this birth out of your eldership as well? Yeah, uh, this transfers into, I think it's a both and, it's symbiotic in some ways. Um, but, you know, our, our, our elder team, we're fairly new, so in some ways our elder team, we didn't choose them until about a year, year and a half into the church, um, just based needing to, you know, have longevity of relationship and things like that. And, uh, and so, so I, I, I look at it as the staff team and the elder team are the two teams that I Manage. I'm the chief among equals on the elders team, and then of course I'm the leader on the staff team. But um, they're not; they are separate teams. So, so the way that they interact, so much of this does have to do with personalities and interactions. One of the other things that I think is really helpful is, um, especially in a staff team, is to do um, like you know Myers Briggs, or you do some sort of personality things. I don't like them be in some ways because it sometimes puts people into a box. Not for that reason, it's for self-awareness. Not only self-awareness for yourself, but also for someone else. Oh, they don't think like I do. <laughs> and so now I, I understand why you think that way, which helps hopefully the honest conversation to go back and forth. I, does that answer your question? Sure. Okay, great. Yes, sir. Okay, my question is, uh, when you've identified that your death in the pot is a personality or a person, and you, I guess you got two approaches. You can either try to redeem that person or you have to remove them. Yeah. Um, you know, how do you decide which approach to take and how do you handle both those approaches? Yeah, that's a great question because there are times, um, I, you know, in this story, we don't have them dumping the pot out. Um, but there is a time, I think, to remove a person from the pot. But I think, I think sometimes our, our quickest, our, the easiest, at least the quickest, easiest response is just going to get you out of the pot, get you out of the mix. But I think as a leader and a pastor, um, I, I, I personally don't lean that way first. So, so I, I'm going to try going down the line of, of, of development, of process, of, hey, I don't, know if, I don't know if you realize that you do this or not. Um, I don't know if you um, see this or not. Can I help you with this? Because ultimately, if somebody's going to get removed, when they do, it shouldn't be the first conversation. In other words, there should be many conversations so that by the time that actually does happen, if that's what in fact needs to happen, um, it ha in some ways they're almost prepared for it. Um, because you've been processing and talking through what the issue is and what the expectations are. And essentially, when you come to that place where you say, okay, this isn't 
working. This isn't getting fixed. This isn't going to work on this particular team that you say, we've talked about this. This is how it was supposed, this is where I was hoping this would go and this is how you would be or our team would be and the ex- not meeting the expectations. Therefore, um, what we need to do is move you out of the pot. So, yeah. Okay. okay. Um, my name is David. I'm from Arvada. Um, what are the challenges of homogeneous teams versus diverse teams, specifically multi-generational versus a young church like yours? Yeah, what a great question. Um, I actually was talking with somebody about some of the different dynamics of, of our team, and he said, you know, I think a lot of your problems would be solved if you had a 50-year-old on your team. <laughs> I'm 42, uh, and the, probably the average age of my team is 29. Um, I have 25-year-olds to 35-year-olds. And, um, and so there is a maturity dynamic that's a part of that. But to go back to the parents and kids analogy, that is our job to help our, in my case, my boys mature and become greater men. And I think sometimes it's easy, especially as a, as a leader, to look at your staff and think, oh, if I just had <laughs> that staff or if I just had that person or if I could... And, and I just have found over the years, um, as I was the college pastor here and had a staff and have had a staff with our church, that there is no perfect staff member. <laughs> they all have um, different aspects, but I would love, um, and I think there's a huge value. Like I said, the guy saying, I think if you had a 50-year-old, there's a level of maturity that hopefully can come from a, a wider range of ages that would say, um, well, I've been around for a little while, and you're getting a little too worked up about that. And, and I'm the oldest guy in my team, so I do say that but, um, and have the most experience. But it would be nice to have somebody else say that and not me not be the only one that's, that's making those comments or responding in that way towards some, some people on my team. So, Okay. Hi, I'm Allie um, from here. Hi, Allie. From I have here. a question. Um, as a team member, um, when we as a team, a few of us see a lot of poison in the team and we try to address that with the leader, but they won't listen, they won't hear to discuss the conflict, what do we do? That's a really great question. And maybe the harder part of this discussion is being um, there and not being able to say there's death in the pot. Um, I think you have a couple of responses. The first one is to pray. And I, I say that in by no means uh, with any sort of just kind of cliche. I think this goes to teams. This goes to everything. I think too often as Christians, prayer is our last response when it needs to be our first response. It's not our last resort. And I, I just think we've got to recognize... There's cl- I, I, I'm, I know that there's areas in my life that I'm probably, I'm clueless about. And there's areas of my life that I need to grow. And there's areas of my life that I could get better at. And, and I may get defensive if somebody brings it up or whatever. Not on purpose. Um, but I think I pray that if somebody brings something up that I'm unaware of, I pray that the Holy Spirit is at work in me to be able to hear that. So I just think pray for your leaders, pray for your teams, um, and ask the Holy Spirit to do work in those teams. Um, so that's the first thing. Second thing is to approach, well, you said you brought it to the leader. I think, I think um, how a leader gets approached makes a difference. Um, you know, maybe it's, maybe it's helpful that you write it out in an email so they're not in front of you and just um, kind of get defensive because they're right in front of you and somehow we've got to 
save face or something like that. There's, obviously, there's issues in that, but at the same time, maybe it's an email. Hey, I've thought a lot about this. Here's a couple of examples. I do think that if you do bring something to a leader, um, that you have specific examples. Um, because, because sometimes I, I hear things from people and they're like, well, I just kind of feel it. Because they're intuitive. They're a, they're a feeler. But I kind of want to be like, well, how do I address that? And, and so any sort of specific response that you can give uh, or example, I think, would be really helpful. Um, and somehow when you communicate that, whether it's in person or an email or however you might um, uh, bring that up, um, try to bring it up in a way that somehow is unemotional. Um, you know, in other words, I think we just have a tendency as humans that if somebody comes gunning for us because something needs to change or we are not doing something right or whatever, our natural tendency is to be defensive. It doesn't make that defensiveness uh, right or it doesn't make what the person is bringing up not accurate. It just creates then this tension and this defensiveness that sometimes we're just protecting ourselves rather than being able to address the issue. So somehow if there's a way to bring it up in such a way that it doesn't feel like a personal attack um, but something that, that you're bringing up specifically and honestly and hopefully graciously um, will hopefully make that more receptive. After a while Let's say you do all of those things and you're praying and, and you're giving time and space and, and all of that kind of thing and you find that that does not happen. I think there's a couple of options. Um, one of them is to exit the team and sometimes that might be the best option because if there's poison, if there's death in the pot, eventually if everybody drank the pot, everybody dies. And sometimes people need to leave the team because you need to not have poison in your heart. Maybe it isn't you. Maybe it is something that somebody else is doing or bringing to the team. But I have found that if, if poison stays in a team for long enough, uh, even if the a person bringing it up or the person in the team isn't the source of the poison, a poison can come up in their heart. It might not be the same one, but it might be the, po the poison of, of cynicism. It might be the poison of... of um, criticism. It might be the poison of um, backbiting or gossip. You know, other types of poison because somebody else isn't dealing with that other poison. So, uh, so it might be best to step off the team. The other thing is, of course, to ask God, what would you have me to do here? Um, I think God oftentimes gives us grace um, to be in places that sometimes are difficult. And somebody might look at you and say, I don't know how you can do that. And God just gives you a grace. And, and in that, though, be willing to wait for the right time. Sometimes, I think conflicts usually happen because of tone and timing. If you're married, I think you'd probably agree with me. Sometimes you're saying the totally right thing. The tone is off and the, or the timing is off or both. But if you change the tone and maybe change the timing, you're able to address the issue. And so um, pay attention to tone and timing and, uh, and pay attention to specifically in regards to timing uh, when the right avenue or the right time would be. So I don't know if that, hopefully that helps. Okay, where's the, over here. Hello. Hi. Whoops. Hi, I'm Michelle and I'm from Guam. I'm here visiting, so I'm blessed to be here for this awesome. conference. Awesome, yeah, glad you're here. Thanks. So after you've prayed and done a couple of those items, steps that you shared, and have removed the, the team member and the poison, but you know as a, as a leader that that person is really called to that particular team slash ministry. Um, how would you suggest the leader and um, maybe co-leaders go about to either restore or build up that person 
to either bring them back or move them on to another healthier team and be clear of the poison. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. I think, you know, you mentioned a couple of things there that highlight. One, I think we can have conversations in the future become easier if you've set expectations at the beginning. In other words, hey, everybody, these are our values, let's say. Well, then if somebody's not um, living according to a sustainable rhythm or they're not empowering people and building teams, equipping people, then you can kind of come back to the somewhat objective um, expectations and say, hey, um, these are our values. Or, hey, this was the expectation that we went in in terms of your job description or your role. And I'm not sure that you're meeting it or something like that. That makes those conversations easier as you move along and you bring it up. Even the first time is usually the most difficult. Um, but I think if I'm hearing you correctly, the person that, you, that maybe removed or needs to be removed, you believe has a calling on their life. They need to be doing what they were doing or they need to be a part of doing what they're doing or maybe part of that team or part of some sort of thing. Um, it takes, I think it takes a humility in our hearts. And so to me, and without knowing too many of the details, I would just have to say it would be dependent upon their willingness to grow and be trained and developed and walked with. And um, I personally have, I, I have lots and lots and lots of grace for people who are willing to, to grow. They're willing to move, even if they move slowly. And so if somebody's like, oh, I didn't realize, oh, you helped me with that. And we just keep talking, oh, and, and as opposed to defensiveness or ignoring or I think oftentimes what we do is we rationalize, we deflect, we deny, or we minimize. And if, if I find those types of things in people's responses, then um, chances of them moving forward are, are less likely. And so if there's none of that taking responsibility for what at least they can take responsibility for and willing to have investment or development, then chances are we're, I would, that's going to be an amazing, hopefully an amazing story of redemption and development and love and care and placing them back into a, um, the right spot. Okay? Right here. Hi. My Hi. name is Stephanie. I'm from Orlando, Florida. Oh, welcome. Thank you. Um, so I'm fairly new in my leadership role. Um, I'm the children's director at our church. And um, I served in ministry. We're a fairly new church, about two years old. Okay. And over the summer, um, our pastor had to resign okay. for reasons. And so we're in big transition right now. So we just got a new pastor who is not our old pastor. It's very clear. So we, we literally are just... People are just, they don't know what to do. Yeah, and over, so sure. as a leader, I stand behind our new pastor 100%. I think he's phenomenal. Um, and I make that known. But as a leader, how can I, because I lost about half my team. And so, you know, I'm serving every week. And um, I got to a point where I had an amazing amount of volunteers and that just went away after all of that happened. And so how do I keep them positive? How do they, I mean, it's just a lot of transition. And so this is my first experience yeah. as, you know, as a leader in something like this. And it's big, you know. Yeah. And so I just want to do my best as a leader to help them get through this and to stay focused. For one, I just want to affirm you giving trust to the new leader and the new pastor. Um, 
well done, as opposed to, all right, you know, last, pers- last pastor didn't do very well. You're going to have to earn this one, buddy. You know, um, so great job in that and modeling that for your team. Um, but secondly, I think my goal is always to motivate people by vision and mission, not just by alt- altruism, if you will. Like, come on, everybody, we, we got to do the right thing. We got to make sure that these classrooms are staffed. That's true. But why are you doing it? Why, why are you there every Sunday? It's probably not just because you're a good person, though I'm sure you are. And it's, yes, you're the, the leader, so therefore it falls apart. And, you know, if we don't have anybody, then you're going to step in. That's kind of what the leader does. But hopefully there's something deeper than that, that you care about kids. And you care so deeply about what those kids are learning. And you care so deeply about the parents having the space on a Sunday morning to be able to engage with God in the service that for you to do that is a joy. No, it doesn't mean it's not tiring. It doesn't mean it's not hard. So I'll give you an example. So our volunteer team is called the Lift Team. We call them the Lift Team. And the reason we call them that is because um, Jesus, in, in, as talked about in Philippians chapter 2, says he took on the, the, um, the, the nature of a servant and he laid his life down. And, and, of course, we see that all through the Gospels. Well, Jesus had all power, all authority, all influence. He had everything. And yet he didn't use all of that influence and power and authority to lord it over people. But instead he used all of his power, all of his influence, all of his authority to get underneath people and lift them up. To lift up humanity. And so in the same way, I talk to our volunteers, our lift team members. We say, you know what we get the opportunity to do today? We get to use all of our influence, all of our authority, all of our power, everything that God's given to us to lift people. So let's do this, everybody. And, and so then you're bringing them around what it is that you're doing on a bigger scale rather than like, all right, one more diaper, you know, and because, and, uh, you know, obviously that can get old. So, <laughs> and I think, I, but I think that there's hopefully a way in which your team can grow. There's an opportunity or a way that that can grow and people understand the the scenario why you're in that but you say okay everybody let's pull this together and let's let's do this you know because you do realize i'm sure man i I, at some point i if people are serving this often they're going to be burnt out so um again you might pay attention to the pot okay so we've got some good people in the pot we've got some good ingredients in the pot we've got great servants in the pot we've got people who love this is their gifting serving kids in this pot but we've got this poison in our pot and it's called not enough people. <laughs> How, okay, what am I going to do about that piece of poison? You know? And so one, I'm going to keep everybody motivated by talking about the mission and vision. But I'm also, okay, what can I do now to go deal with that one particular piece of poison that could kill it all? And so I don't know what that looks like for you, but, but that's maybe a way to think through it and identify that. So, yeah. Hi, my name is Jennifer from Colorado Springs. Um, I think you just answered my question about... Okay. My problem is I don't have enough volunteers. And how do you take what you just talked about in terms of the volunteer dynamic? And how do you recruit? Yeah. So the way that we do it um, is we have a, I think it's important to have a system. In other words, your church right now or your ministry, whatever it is, is designed to perfectly to get the results that you're getting. And so if you're not getting enough people involved, then your system right now is designed to get those results. So it might mean that you redesign the system. So we have a system uh, where 
uh, we have an easy on-ramp for people onto the team. And our easy on-ramp is not, hey, everybody, we need help in, in kids' ministry on Sundays and doing a big plug from the platform. Um, but we have a monthly class, and it's four weeks long, uh, one, Vision 101, uh, a Belong 201, Discover 301, and Lift Team 401. And if, as people go through that, um, if they go through all four of those, they are ready to join the team. And so, and that happens every week. I mean, one of those classes every week, every month. And, and so we just announce, hey, it's first Sunday of the month. Vision 101 is happening at such and such a time. Uh, we'd love for you to be there. Find out the vision of the church. Vision story, how you can connect, how it works, all that kind of thing. Second week is uh, we belong to Jesus and we belong, therefore we belong to each other. So how do we grow in relationship with both Jesus and each other? The third one, Discover 301, we help people discover their giftings because our goal is not to place people in where we need them. We want to place people uh, and fill our needs. I want to place people where they are gifted so that they are most fulfilled. And so I regularly will tell people, I don't want to put you where we need you. I want you to go where you're gifted because ultimately people will serve in their areas of gifting forever. But people will only serve in a place of need for a short time if it's not their gift. And so, and so, because you ever meet you ever meet somebody, and I hope some of many of them have, are you. You're like, I love what I'm doing. I just happen to get paid. You know why that is? It's a it's the it's the um, intersection of of job and calling and gifting all in one place. And so, so it may not be that they get paid, but you certainly want to. And we, I believe that God has deposited into each person a set of gifts. And they are to be used in the church and in the community. And so my job then is to provide the opportunity within the church for them to serve. So, um, so 301 is helping them discover their giftings. And then 401 is helping them connect their giftings to a place on the team. Um, so that system uh, uh, happens every single month, and we add anywhere from 10 to 25 people to the team every single month. Um, and so it ta- it's, it's a commitment for sure. Teachers, um, a teacher a, mo- a week, childcare, lunch we provide because we do it on Sunday afternoon. Um, but but the, we are getting the results that we desire, and our system is designed to get those types of results. Okay? Uh, where are you at, Adam? Right here. Um. I'm adjusting my question a little because you answered some of it, okay. but um, tying in with that, um, an issue that, oh, my name's Melissa. Hello, I'm from Melissa. Glenwood Springs. Oh, nice. Um, so we have people who volunteer and do, you know, just like most churches, most of the work, a small amount of people. Um, and so we have a lot of crossover people on our teams where they're, they're in multiple um, areas of the church sure. working and you were talking about a rhythm of rest and I was just wondering how you implement that yeah yeah we try to uh, of course make have that trickle down into our teams um, I think a couple of different ways that we do that one we do want the teams to continue to grow to make sure that we give people opportunities to do that but we from the very beginning ask them how often do you want to serve some people it's once a month Okay, great, we'll, we'll take that. As opposed to, oh, we really need somebody every week, can you do that? We want to work with their rhythm. Um, we encourage all of our small group leaders. Um, we have very few small groups in the summer, and the reason is, is we, we encourage our small group leaders to take the summer off um, because I want them to, to have downtime, family time, rest time, all that kind of thing. There are so many times that, are, oh, I wish we had more small groups in the summer. 
but I'm committed to healthy rhythm and longevity for people, and that means taking a few months off. Um, and, and we always, and this is, this I talk to my staff team and they talk to the team leaders. We want to have a culture of blessing. So if somebody says, I just can't do this right now. I'm kind of busy or this shifted or that changed or, uh, you know, I need to, we want, we want to bless people. Thank you so much for serving. Thank you for participating and bless them. Even though I'm like, oh, please don't go. I really need you. But I regularly tell my team, I actually got a text from, our worship leader um, earlier this week. Hey, can you give an announcement this week for a, somebody to play bass on? You know, not this Sunday, but just we just need a bassist. I'm like, well, have you prayed about it? It's like, oh yeah. <laughs> and the reason I'm not being funny about that or or flippant because we needed some drummers a while ago, and and so we as a team, like staff team prayed about it every week in our staff meeting and we have so many amazing drummers right now and so I'm like all right well we need to pray for bases let's pray for some bases they are gonna come I mean one of our drummers right now is used to be us like lived in LA played for bands was a session drum I mean we're not talking like slackers you know like so 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 I just think like I, I our kids if any of you are on kids teams or kids ministry leaders especially um my, I love our, our kids' pastor. Regularly, his God story is, I had t- 15 cancellations this sun- on Saturday night. Right? Kids' ministry pastors, you know exactly what I'm talking about, right? And he said, but God was so faithful to us. He said, people showed up, like, saying, um, here I am. And they weren't on the schedule. And he's like, twos and threes just for you today. You know, or whether it was the number of kids that they were actually dropped off that day or whatever. Like, I, I really pray that we can come to a place where we trust God to bring us the leaders and the people that we need for our teams. And, and, and it, it, is a, it is a faith walk. But I truly believe that where God leads us, he will provide for us. And, um, and so, so that takes sometimes just like, okay, I'm going to move forward. I'm going to pray about this. I'm going to ask some people. I'm going to bring this up in our staff meeting. Can we pray about this? Anybody know anybody? And just kind of start getting the word out and the, the conversation going. And a month later, hey, how's it going? Oh, yeah, I got everybody I need. Everything's fine. So, so some, it is a constant kind of thing where you're going for it. But at those who step out, make it a blessing culture. Man, we're so glad because you never know when they come back. And if they feel like they got kicked because they were walking out the door, um, chances are they might not walk back through that door. So, yeah. Adam? Okay. Hi, I'm Kelly. I'm from Farmington, New Mexico. Hi, Kelly. Um, I recently became the children's director at my church, um, taking over a ministry that hasn't really had a leader in quite a few mm-hmm. years. Um, they've, had, they've had many different people trying to lead it, but it's never been successful or just large change. I mean, many leadership changes. And so I've inherited a team that has kind of been doing their own thing for a very long time. Mm. And the ministry as a whole is not healthy. Uh, And so I'm struggling. Uh, My question is, how do you begin to lead a team that's not used to being led? Yeah. (laughs) We'll pray for you. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I think, I think start with the vision. Start with the vision. Um, because you want to make it more than just about you. And so 
that way, if somebody needs to be taken off the team because they're death in the pot, um, that you're, you're saying, this is where we're going. And, and unless you're ready to get on board with where we're going, um, then I'm going to need you to jump out of the pot. Um, so so I th- it's slow. I think, I think sometimes, you know, in this case, it's like trying to take something that's dying or on life support or dead or whatever. Um, it is a lot easier to make a baby than it is to raise the dead. And so... Um, so so you've got a, a bigger job ahead of you, all right? And more prayer ahead of you. So, uh, so but it's going to take a lot of work because you're kind of, you're not just trying to establish a culture, you're trying to change a culture. And that takes, that takes time. So um, if you just took over, I think you should give yourself a good year to like, okay, do I have the right people in place? Um, I think people embody culture. So, so if you're ever you're like, man, I, don't, I wish my team or I wish my church or I wish this was more like this. Man, make tweaks, adjust systems, do this, you know, do what you need to do to try and get there. But after a while, if you don't get that, look at yourself. Because I am convinced that we embody, as leaders, we embody the culture of our teams. And so if it's not relational... After some while, you might need to look at yourself and find out if you're leading or if you're a relational person or if you are participating in and leading the relational way or, or the, in terms of excellence or in terms of sustainability or whatever. Um, and so, so not only do you need to embody that which you're hoping for and wanting to go for, but also find people that embody it as well and you'll have an easier time getting that culture to sink into the, into the soil. All right, time to go, everybody. I'll be up here. I'd be happy to answer a few questions um, if you'd like to stay around for a little while. Have a great afternoon, everybody. Thanks for having me.